Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts this morning be pleasing in your sight. You, God, who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How, uh, how valuable is wisdom? How, how much do we value wisdom? Well, if spending is any indication, I think we value wisdom quite a bit, actually. The average college student accumulates about $40,000 worth of debt just to get their bachelor's degree. Not even talking about the other degrees and everything else, right? Um, the the self-improvement market is now valued at about $13 billion, and the self-improvement market would include things like self-help books, um, motivational speakers, like life coaching apps. $13 billion annually is the self-help market. So I think we do value wisdom quite a bit. We, we want to fill ourselves with knowledge, and we want to use that knowledge to make wise decisions. We all want to do this, but, but it's easier said than done, isn't it? I feel like if you, as you look at different places and times in history, our, our culture is a great example of the fact that knowing lots of stuff does not necessarily make you wise. For example, think for a minute about the smartphone. What a remarkable device. 85% of people in the world have a smartphone. It's almost 9 out of 10 people in the world have a smartphone. And do you recognize what that means? It means almost 9 out of 10 people in the world have access to things like Wikipedia and Google and basically have access to the world's accumulated base of knowledge on almost any topic that you could ever imagine. 9 out of 10 people. So people have more knowledge and, and information than they ever have. And yet, what do we use the internet for? Like, what do people mostly use the internet for? Memes. It was number one on my list, like sharing funny memes. Or another huge one, which you hate to say, but it's about 30% of internet use is watching porn. Just massive. And then spreading conspiracy theories, just like crazy. Um, we use the internet to savagely roast each other in ways that we would never, ever do in person to somebody else. Um, we use the internet to get depressed as we scroll through other people's social media and we're like, nope, I'm doing it again, I'm comparing, this is not real life, it's all filtered, and then we still just feel depressed as we watch somebody else's perfect life online. So just the smartphone is a great example, I think, that having access to all of this knowledge and information doesn't necessarily make us wise. It doesn't necessarily lead to good decisions. And we know this, like our culture knows this. As I was in my office writing this sermon, I was listening to Spotify, as I tend to do, and the song came on, and the refrain of this particular song went like this, wisdom, wisdom, where can I get some? Wisdom, wisdom. And that was just the whole refrain. It never said where you could get some wisdom. It never answered the question of where wisdom is found. And I think that's very telling. Because even in our highly advanced modern age, like knowledge and information, we've got these things like never before, but wisdom is still really, really hard to find. But that doesn't stop people from looking for it, right? And so cue the self-help books 
and the motivational speakers and the podcasts, and people will look to find that one person who's going to be their source of wisdom. And maybe it ends up being, you know, Joe Rogan or Jordan, Jordan Peterson or some politician that, that a person really likes. But people will, will try to find somebody to grasp onto as their source of wisdom, even if from that source comes a couple things that are, that are just clearly flawed. But we want like a wisdom mentor, right? We want a person that we can just listen to. We have this societal yearning for wisdom. I almost feel like in our super advanced, tech-savvy modern age, even though we're all on our phones here, we really are looking up into the sky and we're saying, all I want is one wise person whose advice I could actually trust. Or we're thinking, what would I not give for, for a fountain of pure wisdom that I could just drink from every single day? And I could make the right choices, and I could live the wise, productive life that deep down we all want to live. Our society deeply is yearning for wisdom and for a source of wisdom that's actually trustworthy. So as Christians, maybe you recognize the irony. Like, this is what the Bible is claiming to be. This is exactly what the Bible has always claimed to be, is a trustworthy source of wisdom. Let me just listen again to a little section from our psalm today. Your commands are always with me, the psalm writer says, and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. People in the world are searching for life wisdom from a reliable source, the Bible is life wisdom from the most reliable source. But people in our world still don't want to hear it. So the question is why? If we all want wisdom so bad, why aren't we all reading the Bible? Right? So I think our second reading really explored that question of what is the problem? If we want wisdom, like what is this problem we have with God's word? And here's how Paul describes it. He says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he goes on, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So let's break this down a little bit. If everybody in the world is searching for a source of wisdom, if God in the Bible is offering us a source of wisdom, why isn't everybody in the world reading the Bible? Well, the answer is the wisdom God gives us in the Bible is not always what we expect to hear. And the wisdom God gives us in the Bible is not always what we want to hear. And that's true for all different parts of the Bible and all of God's wisdom, but it is particularly true for the central point of the Bible, the main point of the Bible, about how God sent his son into the world as a human being to die on the cross for our sins, to be our savior. 
So think for a minute about that specific message, the message of the cross and what God did there, and think about how that clashes with people's hopes and expectations. So back in 55 AD, we just read it, you know, Paul said this about 55 AD in the Roman world, he said, Jews demand miraculous signs. What he meant by that was that the Jewish people had been waiting for the Savior to come uh, for thousands and thousands of years, but their expectation was that when he did, he would come in power, and he would come in, in glory, and he would lead his people to victory, and that probably what the Savior, the Messiah, would do would be, like, build an army and go take on the Romans and defeat them and give the Jewish people their promised land back. And this was the expectation, like a powerful military earthly leader. So when a humble, gentle rabbi from the tiny little town of Nazareth came and started preaching about how God's kingdom is not of this world and how we need to turn the other cheek and how Christian life is going to be pick up our cross and follow him, and then when the Romans got him and crucified him and apparently defeated him like a common criminal, Jesus didn't look miraculous and powerful and like the general and leader and savior that the Jews were expecting. He looked like a loser. He looked like he had lost. Not what they expected. Maybe not what they wanted. Again, 55 AD, Paul talks about another culture in his time. He said, Greeks look for wisdom. So maybe you know this if you're a history buff, that like for much of the world's history, most people were literally just trying to get enough food to not starve. They maybe didn't have enough, they didn't have a lot of time for super deep introspection and thought. But by the time of the ancient Greek empire, finally you had enough, I think, wealth and affluence that people had leisure time to stand around and start to think about the deeper things of life. Like, why are we here, and who exactly are we, and what is the universe, and who is God? Where are we going? What's the meaning of life, right? And, and the people who, who debated these existential questions about life, they were called philosophers in ancient Greece. Do you know what philosopher means? It means a lover of wisdom. So people were thinking deeply about the world, trying to figure it out, um, when Paul went on a missionary journey to the Greek city of Athens, here's how Luke described that city. He said, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent all their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. This was Greek culture. Now, there's nothing wrong with discussing things, right, and sharing ideas and coming up with new ideas, but the Greek philosophers wanted things to fit into their worldview. They wanted things to happen in a way that they could understand. They wanted to explain the universe in ways that fit for them. And the message of the cross did not fit for them. You look at Christianity from the Greek perspective, and these guys are saying, so a god decided to become a man. Okay? And, and so then a God decided to become a man and decided to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of people. Normally don't people offer sacrifices for their own sins to God? God comes down, offers himself as a sacrifice, dies on the cross, gets crucified and disgraced. Why? The Greek and Roman gods didn't act like that. They were way up here. People are way down here. Maybe the gods are paying attention to us. Maybe they're not. I mean, that was the thought. 
So their gods wouldn't act this way. The Greek and Roman mind didn't think this way. In their culture, a god who would lower himself to die on a cross sounded ridiculous. No god would ever humiliate himself like that, they thought. So the cross was offensive to their human wisdom, to their philosophy. So that was 55 AD, right? But what about today? Um, What is the reason that people don't want to hear God's wisdom today? Or how does the message of the cross offend and clash with people today? I think the biggest reason, and you guys know this, the biggest reason people don't read the Bible actually has nothing to do with the Bible, right? It has to do with churches and Christians and the perceptions that they have about churches and how they are and Christians and what they do and Christianity and what it stands for and whether people are thinking of abuse scandals or Christians they've known that are really mean or churches that are super political or whatever the case may be, people don't end up even reading God's word. They're already boxed off from it because they're viewing religion and Christianity specifically as already a bad thing. So that's a cultural barrier to overcome. But then once people do actually read the Bible, um, still today in our culture, God's wisdom clashes with our culture's wisdom. And there's pressure points where certain views of our culture are deeply challenged by views that God has in his wisdom. One example of that would be the exclusivism. Right? The Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And we live in a really inclusive culture. We're very open and including, and so this is hard for our culture. This doesn't sound right when God's wisdom says there's only one way, when we think, well, why can't there be many ways? Another example would be morality. Um, not any specific morality here, but just the idea that God has a set of rules, and God gets to say what's right and wrong. Now, we live in a culture that's very postmodern where we like to make our own rules. We like to define things however we want, and we decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. So the idea that God has this just objective moral standard, that also clashes with our culture. It makes our wisdom start to feel uncomfortable compared with God's wisdom. So culture is always changing. The world is always changing, but there's two things that don't change. People are always hungry for wisdom. And then when God offers us his wisdom, we aren't particularly interested. We want to be the wise ones, not God. So where does that attitude come from? Well, that stems all the way back to the original fall into sin. To the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve standing in front of a tree that God had told them not to eat from, and here came the devil with his temptation. And you think about it, what really was that temptation? It was the temptation to assume that they were wiser, that they knew better, that they were more equipped than God to decide what was right for their life. And that was the first fall into sin, and that's really the seed of every sin since then. This is what sin is. We want to be the wise ones, not God. But unfortunately, our wisdom has been unable, in thousands of years of human history, it's been unable to solve our biggest problems. Problems like guilt, and problems like sin, and problems like death. Human wisdom can't solve these problems. But thankfully, we have a God who can, and we have a God who refuses to keep his wisdom to himself. Instead, he sent his wisdom into the world. He sent Jesus to live for us, 
and die for us on the cross and rise from the dead to become a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Jesus came to the world to become the power of God and the wisdom of God. So here's what happens is as God sends us his word, telling us about you know, the gospel of Jesus, God also is sending us his Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit causes us to look at this crucified Savior so unimpressive to the world and to see something that others are missing. What do we see that others are missing? What we see is the power of unconditional love. And that's what our whole world is missing. In general, our world is selfish. We are selfish. Everything we do is conditional. We use people in every relationship that we have. Everything is about what we can get out of it, what's in it for me. This is just the way our world works. We can't look at things any different. But then we see a God who acts very, very different. A God who's willing to do incredibly unexpected things for us. He's willing to be despised and rejected by mortal human beings who he created. He's willing to go even further and saddle himself with the guilt and shame of all the sin of the world and take that to the cross and pay his own price for it. He's willing to be shamed and despised and look like a loser so that we can be honored and glorified and eternally be winners in heaven. What's in it for him? Well, nothing. What's in it for us? Well, everything. Totally selfless, unconditional. That's not how anything in our world works, but that's how God works. And the more deeply we understand God's unconditional love, the more we recognize it for the wisdom that it is, that our world does not have something like this at all. And the more we appreciate that, then we start to appreciate statements from the Bible that would otherwise sound very foolish and backwards to our world. Pieces of wisdom like this. Blessed are the meek. Turn the other cheek. In humility, consider others better than yourself. These are things that sound crazy. These are things that don't sound possible. It sounds foolish and backwards. But when we understand what our Savior has done for us, we recognize these unusual sounding pieces of wisdom for what they are. True wisdom, real wisdom that they can't be found anywhere here on earth. Wisdom that flows from the pure, unconditional love that God showed when he came into our world and sacrificed himself, a God, for people instead of the other way around. And then when we view God's wisdom like this, it totally changes our relationship with the Bible, doesn't it? We said at the beginning, how valuable is wisdom? How valuable is wisdom to you? I mean, wisdom is immensely valuable. We all desperately want wisdom. We all need wisdom. So think about this. How much money would you pay to have one-on-one tutoring with the wisest professor in the entire world? like in your topic of choice? Maybe quite a bit. (laughs) How much would you pay to have a monthly Zoom call with the wisest business professional in the entire world, specifically as it pertains to whatever you're doing in business? I mean, could you put a price on that and the decisions you'd be able to make from it and the ways that you would grow? 
How about this one? How much money would you pay to have a weekly coffee with the wisest mentor in the entire world? Someone who could absolutely guide you, someone you could talk to about anything. I mean, how much would you pay to have a weekly coffee with the best mentor in the entire world? Well, what about the one who made the world and everything and everyone in it? What about the one who has prepared an eternity in a perfect world in heaven for you, and he's paid the price for you to get there, and he's guiding you until you get there? What about the one who's equipped to not just give you good advice, but to actually help you, to actually send his angels to protect you, to actually guide your life and make sure that you make it all the way to heaven, no matter what you face along the way? What would you pay to hear from him on a regular basis. And not just monthly, not just weekly, but literally any time you want, sit down and drink from his fountain of wisdom for your life. How much would you pay to get to do that? You don't have to pay anything because reading the Bible is free. So this is our point for today, is just imagine what a blessing God's word would be to us if we viewed it as what it actually is the most incredible, useful, practical source of wisdom that exists in the entire world. What would it look like if we realized this book and this app is the greatest wisdom we could ever find? I think it would be pretty cool. Uh, may God grant to us that maybe shifting perspective of his word throughout this series and throughout this summer. For Jesus' sake, amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.